calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to The Patron Saint of Suicides. My name is Vince Dejani, and I'm from Audio Media, the production company that makes the series. This is Alex Dolan, the creator for The Patron Saint of Suicides. Uh, we're going to dive deep into some behind-the-scenes stuff, talk about our favorite moments, the process overall. Uh, we've got three great episodes for you. This one will just be myself and Alex. Then we've got another episode with some of the cast to go over what the recordings were like and some of the characters. Then we're bringing on some of the people further behind the scenes, talking to the crew that made the music, put the sound effects together, and made everything sound fantastic. If you haven't listened to the main series yet, definitely go check it out, as this episode will have some spoilers in it. Yeah, and just take a back up. If, if you're listening to this and you haven't heard the first episode and don't know anything about this series, so this is about a woman named Haven Otomo, and she's a, a, a daughter of a comic legend and a part-time comedian herself, um, but she's also somebody who patrols the Golden Gate Bridge every night and uh, and tries to stop people from jumping. And she uh, had a trauma that happened to her two years before the start of the story where she was on a, a packed train that ended up getting shot up. And, um, and she still kind of has that PTSD coming off of that as, and, and some amount of survivor's guilt. And so she's going into this with, with that baggage as well. So I guess, do you want to tell me a little bit like about the show from your own words? Sure. So the patron saint of suicides originally started as a book. And um, so I also write books and I was interested in this concept because I think, I think at a, a higher level, I really wanted to have a way for people to talk about mental health. And it's something that people are afraid to talk about. And there are a couple of shows that have come out uh, over the last couple of years, I think do a really good job of of getting people comfortable with having this be part of the dialogue. And I wanted to explore the theme of that. And um, a couple of years ago, I read about a man in China who uh, who volunteered his time to go out on a bridge and talk people off of jumping 
talk people out of jumping off the bridge. And I thought that was a really compelling story. And I, until recently, lived in the San Francisco Bay Area, where the Golden Gate Bridge is the number one jumping spot in the in the United States, definitely, but possibly the world. And I liked the idea of having somebody go out there and do that with with their time. So that was the the nugget of of what the story developed into. And then I wanted to um, make it more compelling by having somebody who did, you know, tried to save people uh, with her time being pulled into a case where she was being asked to try to help out a case where people uh, are also dying of apparent suicides. So it became a little bit of a a criminal, uh, criminal case as well. And obviously one of the major things for Haven is that she's also been through trauma that kind of feeds into her character and is the reason that she really goes out to the bridge, right? Yeah, and, and that's the thing. When I when I started to think about this, when it originated with the man in China, I started to think about, okay, who does this person have to be to want to do this with their time? And um, I started to think about the character that would do this with the story, and I thought, well, this person needs to have some personal connection to suicide for them to be motivated enough to try to, to stop people from jumping. And so this is somebody who has trauma in their background. And on a lighter note, I, I ended up making this person kind of a part-time comic because when I started to think about what else does this person need to be able to do? And I thought this person has to be very persuasive. And uh, I liked the idea that when I looked into the types of personalities that were very persuasive, a lot of comics kept coming up and people that can, can, that are really good at this, that can kind of steer the audience however they want. And yeah, and, and, and it makes sense when you see a lot of live comedy, like the people that are really good at it, are they can command a room. They're good at getting people to, to listen and follow them. And, and, uh, there's that, that element I liked bringing in, um, mainly because I liked the idea that she had these powers of persuasion and that was kind of a, um, kind of a superpower for her. Uh, and I also liked the idea of taking something that was as dark as, um, suicide and giving a little levity, uh, in contrast with, um, something that was comic. And I, I think in, in real life, those things can, can kind of dovetail pretty naturally. But I thought in a dramatic format, it would it would kind of help balance things out. Yeah, I mean, for sure. It definitely develops her character a little bit more, um, adds another layer of depth with how she deals with this kind of trauma. You know, I mean, she has a ton of jokes uh, throughout the series where she's talking about her father who committed suicide or, uh, you know, past things that she's been through like seeing a gun and being shot and thinking she was gonna jump in and save the day uh and it's kind of this interesting duality to see how she puts that out into something that's supposed to be funny but also is therapeutic for her yeah i I think the other thing is like i i wanted this to be entertaining right so i didn't want to just club people over the head with something that was just depressing subject matter and i thought um i feel like we're as human beings, we're wired 
to talk about sensitive material more when it's in a fictional format. I think we're wired to listen to and tell stories, and that's how we process the world and especially things that frighten us in the world. And so I wanted to create something that would be entertaining so that people could actually get lost in it. And this is very much written as a, as a crime thriller. Um, but hopefully when you read this in the same way that um, for people that have, that have read uh, Shutter Island by Dennis Lehane or watched the movie, like that, that is a movie and, and book that deals heavily with uh, mental health issues. And, and yet it's couched in this very gripping um, crime thriller. Uh, and I think that makes it more palatable for people and more, more comfortable to be able to talk about it and, and take it in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And you have a lot of experience with crime thrillers, right? I, yeah. So I, I yeah, I, in, outside of, of this, I, I also do some writing and I have two books out that are crime thrillers and um, it's kind of storytelling that's, uh, that I, I really love. And, um, I, I love the fact that you, you know, you're putting people in these intractable situations that you or I would never choose to be in and try to figure out a way to get out of. And I think, um, part of drama is serving up tension and, um, crime and thrillers are a good way to, to ratchet up that tension to figure out what would these people do in this situation? What would I do by proxy in, in a situation this, like this? Uh, and I think that a lot of people, um, I think as I have a conversation like this w- uh, with a lot of writers where I think a lot of people write thrillers, crime, horror, all dark, dark subject matter because it's stuff that frightens everyone and it's a way to deal with that and kind of expose us to that in a way that can help us not be frightened of it. And I think that that readers and listeners um, appreciate it for the same thing. I think people like horror and thrillers for the same reason. I think it's a way for us to understand the world and um, the, the way to understand the world. uh, One of the things people want to understand most are the things that, that scare us. And I think that uh, this helps with that. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, that's always kind of the psychology behind why people enjoy horror versus uh, the people that, you know, close their eyes and ears when they're in a theater. It's just, I don't know, two very different uh, ways to deal with it, you know. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So talk to me about the the kind of split 
that we have in all of these episodes. We've got one half being following Haven uh, and the other half following uh, Detective. So tell me a little bit more about uh, Victor Blossom. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so ha- there are two basically two worlds that are converging in this series. And one is the, the Haven Otomo and her world. Um, and then uh, the other one is a basically a crime procedural. So there's a uh, basically in Oakland, California, which is um, just over the bridge from San Francisco. Uh, there are bodies that are starting to f- be found on train tracks. And it's initially presumed that these people are, are killing themselves by train and are kneeling down in front of train tracks to, to kill themselves. And it end up, ends up escalating into something else. And they don't know what it is or what's causing it. Um, but the uh, so Victor Blossom is the head detective on this. He's somebody who is a, a very seasoned um, police officer. He's, he's somebody who's very sensitive and empathetic. And so he has kind of a natural inclination to to want to help people in his role, which is comes out of me talking to a lot of uh, police officers for uh, for the research for for the story and finding that it's not the the grizzled gumshoe that has this uh, that has this job. It's a lot of people that get to see some of the worst sides of people and they get to see some of the the worst examples of human behavior or just to get to see people at their worst not bad people and so i think they have more of an understanding of what um i mean there certainly are people that desensitize themselves to that but i think that a lot of the people i talk to are people that have an even greater empathy for people in in vulnerable situations and that you know a lot of the even the way that Victor Blossom talks, a lot of that, like his his lexicon, a lot of his speech patterns come from kind of a um, an amalgamation of of different people I talked to in creating that character. That's really interesting. I remember you mentioning that you did a bunch of research and spoke to a lot of police officers to kind of develop this role. Um, and I know the first time that I read the script, I you know kind of leaned that stereotypical gruff police officer kind of way, uh, at least for the first few episodes, till you learn a little bit more about Blossom as you go along. Uh, and on you know specifically while we were casting this together, we were talking about trying to find someone with a, you know a much more uh, soothing tone of voice um not really playing into that characterization of the the police officer so why is it that you really went that direction i so i think you know, like a long time ago i knew somebody was married to a homicide detective and i had this idea i was you know in my early 20s at the time and i had this idea of how a policeman would talk and act and he was actually a second degree black belt. He's not at all similar to, to Victor Blossom, although Victor Blossom also happens to know combat uh, techniques. Um, comes in handy. It comes in handy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but he uh, is somebody who had this very calm demeanor and he was more of like, it was interesting because he was a, a slightly older guy and he, um, almost had kind of like a Santa Claus vibe about him. And he was telling me about this case and he just was just the most affable guy. And he talked about having to, to run down a suspect and he was chasing him in a car. So he was getting into a car chase. So me in my early twenties, I was like, Oh my God, I have to hear this story. And then (laughs) they were doing a high speed highway chase. And then he said, okay. And then, then he pulled off and he, 
and he went through a residential neighborhood. Uh, and I said, oh, what happened then? And he was like, well, I just let him go. And, you know, the, the, the kid in me was like, what, what are you talking about? That's the end of the story? <laughs> How could you let him go? <laughs> right. And he said uh, something I would never have considered. He was like, well, I, I could have hit a kid. Yeah. Like we were speeding through a residential neighborhood. And that insight was really like started to change the way I thought about people who really do their jobs right. Or I'm like, oh, my God, like this isn't the, the shoot them out that we all are led to believe in, in reading noir stories. Like these are people that um, he just had a very highly attuned sense of human behavior and he had a lot of empathy and he, you know, he knew that to ha- having a high speed chase to, to through a, a suburban neighborhood could do more harm than good. And um, so that I, st- I thought about that, personality of what it would be like to have that kind of responsibility as a as a a police officer as a detective and um i think some of the early people i met that really kind of changed my perception of that well that's really interesting because i mean i love some campy police content i mean i've watched a ton of shows and even write a little bit of a kind of thriller stuff that's you know very cliche police officers and it's just the way that things I guess have been colored by the media and you know movies tv and all that kind of stuff and I think that's something that you did different here that you know when we've been working on this it's we've talked to the cast and the crew and everybody that's read the scripts and been a part of this has remarked about how realistic the characters feel and I think that's just something that you know you don't really think of I I don't know how to describe it I guess you've found this type of person who is very real but is very different than what you would imagine how people act in these situations i mean uh listening to haven talk about the trauma that she'd been through even for the you know umpteenth time that we're laying these episodes out and putting it together it still kind of gives me chills to hear somebody talk about the trauma that they've went through like that um same with gibson and same with blossom and everything and it's just very easy to relate to these characters and it's just such an interesting look into it i guess i would say because it doesn't fall into that campy cliche idea of how people are supposed to act yeah and and thanks for that and i and that's really kind of what i was going for and and it's not the fact that we we all love campy cop shows (laughs) (laughs) i just moved to portland oregon and my favorite uh my favorite it's hard to say it's my favorite show, but it's really watchable. It's a show called Stumptown, and it's a it's fun, silly detective show that happens to take place in Portland, Oregon. Mm-hmm. And I started watching it mainly because they actually like highlight real things in Portland. I'm getting to know the my own my new city, and so they'll be like they'll, they'll be at a club that I know I have to like visit later on. Oh. <laughs> but for people that are are true crime fans out there that are listening to this, like a good example of what I'm talking about is if you look up a guy named Paul Holes, H-O-L-E-S, Paul Holes. Some of you may already know who he is, but he's the, um, he's the investigator um, from California that, that captured the, or that caught the Golden State Killer. And I also listened to a, a couple of, if you listen to a couple of interviews with him, he's very grounded. He's very, he's not, he's not that stereotype. He's somebody who, realizes that there's there are actual lives that are involved in these crimes and um he's you know he's not 
he's not that cliche. He's just a real guy that did his job. Uh, and he, even for Haven, I mean, Haven's a very different uh, personality type. And she, to get uh, into that character uh, as somebody who is, I was writing somebody who was a, a part-time comic. And so I interviewed a lot of uh, friends of mine who are comics, who do live comedy. And a lot of the way she talks or the way she tells jokes, a lot of those are are related to people I've talked to um, and also thinking about who this character was and what comics might interest her, the way she delivers lines or the way she writes her material also borrows from the stand-up material of people that I thought this character would be influenced by. So a lot of, a lot of the development of these people really comes from um, doing a lot of research and talking to a lot of people. It's really interesting. I feel like that relatable characters are something that, writers either you know are very good at or it's always a miss you know yeah i mean like a good example there's this is not a spoiler but this is something that people will listen to on the show where there's a scene where haven is on stage and she's performing in front of a crowd that contains a bachelorette party and the bachelorette comes and gets on the stage and um she has to kind of figure out how to deal with with that distraction and that actually um the the scene wasn't exactly that, but that story, uh, that thing actually happened to a friend of mine who's a comic. <laughs> really? <laughs> and, yeah, he had a he had a bachelorette party, stormed the stage, and he said it was really weird. And but you have to kind of go with it. Um, but they're they're just insights that people told me. Like they had this idea of like, if you have a heckler in the crowd, depending on who the heckler is, you can't necessarily be that mean to them because you might lose the whole room. And, it's like insights like that from people that do this. Um, uh, I always get more, I get, what helps inform characters and story is real life insights of people that know how people operate. Yeah, I can definitely see that. And I love all of the little touches of things like that. Like it may not have been in your original idea to have the bachelorette party, have them go on stage and, you know, cause a ruckus, but adding that into the script kind of, it makes it feel more real, you know? Yeah. Makes the environment and the situations feel more real. Um, I remember when I was laying out the audio for uh, the first episode with Haven walking on the uh, Golden Gate Bridge. Right. Um, I had had it originally with a lot of like water sound in the background. Uh, and I remember one of the notes that you had told me was that, oh, no, you can't hear the water from up that high. I was like, really? I've never actually, you know, paid attention and been on the bridge and thinking about what it sounded like. So it's just really interesting that, you know, you've got all of the insider information on a lot of this stuff that you've been there, you've researched and, uh, you know, it makes it feel much more real. We could have had a lot of water sound and things like that on the bridge, but then other people who have experienced it would have been like, that's not what the Golden Gate Bridge sounds like when you're walking across. You guys did actually create the world through the audio. Uh, I mean, we talked about how when you're walking on the Golden Gate Bridge, the predominant sound would be, um, cars driving by you because that bridge, you're at the sidewalk is right next to the road and you can hear cars just going by you all the time. And, and so it's a different, it's a very much a different kind of sound that you would get from another bridge. Um, but I, the, some of the writers I really love and some of what I really love um, that's happening in, in audio dramas is, is I get really inspired by people that are able to create these elaborate worlds. And so the, the 
the world building for me comes like not only with the characters, but also what you guys are bringing to to dimensionalize this with the sound and and the music. I mean, it, it's it, like it creates this fully fleshed out uh, world. It's what intrigues me about the medium. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, there's nothing more fun than you know seeing the lines laid out and then rendering it and finally hearing what this immersive soundscape sounds like for the first time. Right, and and honestly, you guys nailed it. It sounds like the Golden Gate Bridge. <laughs> um, you were able to sa- find uh, train sounds that sound like the the BART, which is for people not from the San Francisco Bay Area. This is like the 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 train that is kind of like the the main commuter train in, in and out of San Francisco, and they make noises that it's a it's a sound that is unique to that train. It doesn't sound like other trains. And so, you know, that even that first episode where you get to see, hear the BART car pull into the station, there's a certain whine to, like the way the steel whines is like so unique to that system and you don't hear it anywhere else. And you guys were able to really be authentic to that and, you know, just take you there. Yeah, and I'm such an audio nerd with all of this kind of stuff. You know, you talked about your love of audio dramas and uh, working with some of our audio engineers on this kind of stuff, uh, who we'll speak to in, I think, a later episode of this little series that we're going to do behind the scenes. Uh, I'm sure our audio engineer, Eric, will love to tell you about how he made a bunch of the different sound effects and things like that. But you're right, we were able to find a, a Foley pack uh, that was actual train recordings from the San Francisco Bay area, which is really interesting. Yeah. And it, it helped make it real. I mean, I think that's the, like, I, I loved being able to collaborate with you and the whole team on this because it was more about, there's a certain experience you get when you write a book. And I love that. And I love being a reader too. Um, in the last couple of years, I really wanted to explore uh, audio dramas because I, I just fell in love with what people are doing with this medium right now. Um, and it's, it's exciting stuff. And, the, and especially the sound design for some of these shows is, is, is elevated to the point where it really, it's like being in a movie, just all audio. And the, you were able to step into these elaborate worlds created just by sound. And um, I just was really impressed by that. And it was really, uh, I, I feel like in a way, like you took the writing and kind of brought it to life. So what was the reason that you decided to go with audio drama? What, drew you into kind of adapting this novel that you had and putting it into the audio space? I, I think it's the fact that um, three years ago, I found myself in a car more than I've been for most of my life. So I grew up in Boston. And so I grew up in a, a walking city. And I was like, either I was riding public transit or riding a bike around. And I was in a part of the San Francisco Bay Area where I was just driving around a lot. Mm-hmm. And a couple of years ago, I started listening to audio dramas and it was, I was so excited by them. I was immediately pulled into it. Uh, and even to, a, I think to a lesser degree, but a lot of people are doing great things with, with audiobooks. The, um, for people that know uh, Max Brooks's book, World War Z, he, it's one of the best audiobooks I've ever heard. And he has this full cast of, of that, of A-list talent that's helped, helped create that book. Um, but I was really intrigued by how people can tell story just w- with no visuals because we're so wired to, to need to see things. The idea that you can bring something to life without that is really intriguing to me. 
um, the, the, hearing the way people actually write specifically for the medium so that there's a special weight placed on certain sounds um, and, and how you can dramatize that, how you can create little blind spots because you can't see things in audio dramas. It creates a, like a special way of being able to write for that medium. And uh, I just got excited about it. It was like, and also the fact that it's like this, it's, I, I know, like everyone's going to listen to this and say, yeah, it's been around for a hundred years. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm aware of that. Yep. But this kind of new resurgence of audio drama uh, that's come back is, it's also kind of exciting because people are, tr- it's, it's new enough that people are trying different things. And I feel like new voices are getting in the mix and I like the idea of being one of those voices. For sure. I mean, it's a great time to listen to audio fiction nowadays, whether it's audiobooks or audio dramas. Um, and I think this show kind of rides that line in between, which is really interesting. Obviously, it started out as a novel and it was adapted into this podcast format. Uh, but we do things a little bit differently than a lot of uh, audio dramas will do and we do some things that audiobooks do in the sense that there's a narrator, there's you know, kind of this third person omniscient thing for a lot of this stuff so it's really interesting that it kind of rides that line in between and i was a little hesitant in terms of of that kind of style too like whether or not to have an actual narrator but i had been the some of the shows i really love actually do that and they what i liked it when it's done well i like the fact that the narrator can gives you a chance to do exposition it gives you a chance to actually fill out the scene more for people that can't necessarily see everything. And uh, Richie absolutely killed that role too. Uh, it was so great to get him as the, the narrator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's there's an actor named Richie Ammons who's who's the voice of our of our narrator and just has the most gorgeous voice. He like he could have he could have done the whole thing and it would still be a lot of fun to listen to. Yeah, yeah, we could. It could have been an audiobook just narrated by him and still would have been great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I remember when we were working on kind of adapting the script, you know, I had read through it and gave you some notes and direction on things for audio drama. Uh, one of the things that always stuck out to me was that obviously this coming from a novel format, uh, Haven would say something and then we would have something in the script that said, you know, sound effect of X, Y, Z, uh, like Haven's narration would say, um, my phone buzzed. And then there'd be a sound effect that was like, you know, phone buzzing sound. Uh, and we decided to remove a lot of that stuff and kind of work with the medium so that we would just have the phone vibrate uh, and kind of interrupt her in the middle of her voiceover exposition. So I think it kind of turned out in an interesting space to where the narrator and Haven can kind of like both give you these larger blocks of exposition and tell you about things that happened in the past and all that. Uh, but they're, they're also in the current time so things happen around them uh you know stuff interrupts them and things like that yeah yeah and i, I think your your insights on that were invaluable and i think that um i, li- I like the fact that we still kept some of that narration in there in, in a way because at least for um for for the season it's we're still establishing what this world is we're still kind of you know so I, I like a little bit more exposition i, I think kind of helps it would help me as a listener be able to understand the world more. And I think once you get that established, it's kind of like every superhero movie is at first an origin story. And then once you get that origin story out of the way, then you you can like build off that and people kind of know the world they're inhabiting. Um, but I, yeah, I think um, you, yeah, you were great in terms of, uh, 
of giving me feedback to try to pull it more into uh, writing for the for this medium. You've mentioned a couple different times. I don't think I've ever asked you about it. You mentioned superheroes and you know, kind of Haven's superpower. Did you want anything to be kind of uh, you know sci-fi like? Does she have a superpower of persuasion? Is it just kind of like a normal person? What what are where are you with that? I think I just like seeing people that are good at things. <laughs> <laughs> like you know, I think it's it's always fun. Is some kind of skill set that um, you know, and and for her, it made logical sense for for her to have a power of persuasion given what she does and given her function in the story. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, it's even like, it goes back to Sherlock Holmes. Like, I think people just like the fact that he's good at stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's interesting though. Yeah. I mean, uh, when you had described it to me, you said, you know, super, well, kind of superpowers of persuasion and things like that. And I was like, oh, cool. It's going to be sci-fi. Uh, and then, you know, we got into it a little bit more and I was like, no, she's, this is just, she's just great at talking to people whatever way it is you right know? well well i'll give you an example i will watch sports at home like i i won't necessarily want to turn on a football game but if you bring me to any live sporting event in any sport it could be roller derby or football <laughs> or whatever um, i'll immediately get sucked in and part of it is just the appeal of me looking at somebody who's really gifted at doing what they do and i'll be the same way if i go to ballet um like or you like just seeing a human being who's really gifted at something is really compelling for me and so i'll be drawn in um so uh yeah so i, t- I tend to try to write people that uh that i would be drawn to hmm. that's interesting so Thinking about the process of the first episode, I mean, we started we started working together. I think it was maybe October of 2019. Does that sound right? It sounds it was September October, September, but October, definitely yeah, yeah. Uh, and then you know we kind of we can talk about the process a little bit. We'd like to get into it a little bit more as we bring on some of the actors who are a part of the show and uh, some audio engineers and things. Um, but we've been working on episode one for a really long time now. Uh, we're currently recording this in April, towards the end of April, um, and we've just got episode one finalized. So it's been a long process. It has, but it's also been a lot of fun. I mean, and I'm I'm hoping that for people that are listening, that I'm like I'm hoping that translates to to your experience of of. Uh, I mean, we we were lucky enough to work with a full cast of really talented actors and, um, and the music and the Foley are amazing. And um, I mean, I, I, as somebody who's kind of new to this field, uh, you know, just being able to have you kind of guide me along in this process has been amazing. And, but also I've just been really impressed by the amount of talent that's out there that can put this together. Oh yeah. And we can talk about it when we bring the cast on here, but we did all of the recording for this remotely, which it, it might be pretty standard in a lot of audio dramas nowadays, but I think we got some really good dialogue and emotion uh, from people who are who may be sitting you know, in a closet with some foam padding, you know? I remember hearing that there are people like Prince or like even Barbara Streisand that did all their vocals at their home studio remotely. And I remember thinking, like, 
I remember thinking that was strange because part of what I thought was really great about the recording process is getting everybody together in the same physical place. Um, and now going through this process, like seeing how it's, it's possible to, to get those performances in like, and really like we're in two different cities and then the actor will be in a, a third city and had to do it completely remote. It, it changed the way I thought about that and what's possible with, digital platforms now it would have been a ton of fun to have everybody in the uh the same room at the same time recording you know but i don't know if we'd ever be able to do that right now <laughs> i know well now now well now yeah. especially yes so uh do you have a favorite moment from working on this stuff so far or uh you know what was your reaction to hearing the the episode when it was finally put together hearing that first episode was amazing for me um i think just the there's an initial the initial scene where um, the the gunfight on the train um, that kind of sets everything in motion uh, is done so well with the with the music that ratchets up the tension and the way the sound effects are handled and the way all these different voices are being brought in to to texturize that scene. It's so um, it just it, it brought this life to the to the source material. Uh, that was really, really exciting for me. And I, I hope will be for people listening to it. I hope so too. It's like I said uh, a little earlier, you know, even listening back to these episodes for the fifth, sixth, seventh time, trying to get them perfect. I still feel that kind of same feeling that you just mentioned, you know, listening to Haven in that first scene, especially. Yeah. Although I will, I will uh, give a favorite moment uh, aside from that, which, uh, this is not a spoiler, I don't think, <laughs> uh, but I, I, I'll speak very vaguely about actor who at one point is is getting a, uh, their head dunked underwater oh, yeah. and listening to the, the actor's uh, takes that like the actor like actually probably, you know, was in a bathroom or something and and uh, and kind of did it on his own. It was just, <laughs> just delightful to hear him try to do this like in a vacuum. No, that was definitely fun. Yeah. I think one of my favorite moments was uh, when we had AJ on, uh, when he was doing a lot of his lines towards the later episodes of the season. Um, you know, just hearing the emotion that he was able to get in his voice for a lot of these scenes was just, it was amazing. I don't, I, working with him was just like an outstanding experience for me. And that was probably one of my favorite recording sessions that we'd ever done. Yeah, I, I, and I was really impressed by AJ and, and everyone in this cast. And um I think there's another. Um, so when we were recording with Lewis, there's a there's a point where we went through a pretty heavy scene, and at the end of it, he just had this this sigh. He had to like take himself to an an, an emotional place that was uncomfortable, uh, and at the end of it, he just, he just said, oh, "I gotta I gotta hug my kids." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was you know, and the the point of that uh, scene was to make people squirm. So I think it, it did its job. <laughs> yeah, no, and it was such a fun experience to record all these. Uh, our next episode, we'll be bringing on Alyssa and Rob, who played Haven and Victor Blossom, uh, you know, so we can talk a little bit more about this kind of stuff then. But I remember pretty early on in our recording process, um, you just yelled Lucha Libre after uh, <laughs> a particularly intense scene. You know, we had just finished it and uh, it was kind of silent for a second and you just said Lucha Libre. And then we, we started doing that as like our 
our sign off. Yeah. yeah, our sign off. Yeah. So that, you know, lighten the mood, be a little funny kind of thing. And it, it was just such an interesting, you know, we're recording these really heavy scenes and then kind of ending it like that. And we had fun during it, you know? Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm really heavily influenced by directors that have a play um, on the, on their projects. And I think it like, it translates to, uh, I, I want people to sense that there was like a, a high creative energy going into this, but um, there's a, there's a director that, that is actually very popular now named Taika Watiti, I believe if you pronounce his name, but he did Jojo Rabbit and he did um, What We Do in the Shadows. And it's interesting seeing shots of him behind the set because he's just, he's like a little kid and it brings out this sense of play that I think um, makes his movies different and magical. And I, I, I just like the idea of, of uh, having that sense of play with people that we work with. No, it's true though. While we were recording a lot of these and, you know, going through and cutting the audio, uh, you can always see when a scene ended or when, uh, we decided to talk about it and kind of recouple for, you know, some feedback because the volume levels on a lot of these audio clips always spiked (laughs) something like that. A a group of us laughing. So if you line a lot of these audio clips up, you can see silence for you and I while, uh, while Alyssa's performing. And then at the very end, there's just like a big spike because we were all like, that was awesome. (laughs) Lots of fun. Uh, One last thing I did want to bring up. I want to talk about the um, uh, charity and why you know we decided to try to try to link this and make it something impactful for mental health. Uh, yeah, I um, so the the charity that we chose is the National Alliance on Mental Illness, or NAMI, or NAMI. Um, if you want to check them out, they're at uh, nami.org. Uh, and, and the way I found out about them is so in in the other writing that I do, I'm friends with a couple writers, and and some some of them are actually practicing psychologists. And got advice from them on on people that were just doing good work in the field, and a lot of people had mentioned these guys, and so we looked into this a little bit. Um, and part of it is a, a this goes back to this high level idea of trying to get invite people to to talk about mental health, um, and I wanted to tie that into something real. And if people wanted to uh, get involved personally or support people that were doing the work, I wanted to to have one foot in the real world and, and try to give people that opportunity. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And I remember early on in the process too, you and I discussed the title of the show, uh, which was originally what? So when it, when it was being pitched as a book, I was persuaded by some folks on the writing side to try to change the title to the patron saint of survivors um, because they thought people would be put off by uh, the word suicide. Mm-hmm. Um but that was something that you really embraced with the rest of this, right? I, in the story that we're telling, I, I feel like it's a bit disingenuous to try to soften the blow in the title. Uh, I, I think I just thought it was weird. And uh, I think everyone that I, I talked to, like it's, this is sensitive subject matter. And I think part of it is that I'm, I've been always been really drawn to writers um, that are, not afraid to dig into sensitive topics. And they, um, and I think that that's, it's really, for me, those, those kind of writers really inspire me. And so I wanted to lean into this hard. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that, uh, 
as a, as a listener, when you listen to this, know that uh, you know this is a story that was crafted with love and, and empathy to, to people that are um, these characters represent in the real world, uh, but that uh, you know I, I didn't want to water this down because I think that um, doesn't treat the subject matter with the respect that it deserves. And I think it turned out all the better for it. Uh, there are some really impactful scenes here and a lot of things are brought up that I think people need to talk about. People need to, to be able to process that kind of, uh, that kind of emotion and that kind of trauma. Yeah. And know that just, just know that on the production side, Vince and I weren't just like sitting at home drinking ourselves to death while we we're making this. Like there, <laughs> there was fun and joy that went into this. Uh, and I'm hoping that, you know, you, you come for the crime story and you kind of stay for the deeper issues and the characters. Mm-hmm. It's a great way to put it. Oh, uh, favorite audio drama wanted to ask since we mentioned it earlier. Uh, the one that comes to mind now and it's come up with one, cause they all, I, it's kind of like music. I like different aspects of what different people do. Um, I'm compelled by carriers. Um, I think so. For people who don't know uh, what Carriers is, um, check it out. But it has um, Cynthia Erivo, who's uh, a really, really talented uh, actor, is the the lead in that. And I, I'm just I've been really compelled by her work in film and TV and how much range she has. And she's just a very compelling person um, that can anchor this whole show. But also the sound design in that show is just astounding. Um, like if you just put on your best headphones and just listen, it's just a buffet for the ears. It's it's so uh, they do great work on on the sound and bringing that story to life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, how about one. you? Um, I would still probably say Life After, uh, which mm-hmm. is actually by uh, GE Podcast Theater, which you wouldn't really expect, but they they made one of these a long long time ago now. And they used it as kind of like a way to discuss technology and things like that without it being an advertisement for GE, you know. Uh, but the actual story in it's fantastic. It's um, a crime thriller about a, a man who loses his wife uh, and kind of the aftermath of dealing with that. Yeah, I, I love that show. That was one of my favorites for the sound design, too. I really loved it. was kind of minimalist for a lot of things, but uh, mm-hmm. it felt very up close. Like um, the main character puts headphones in often to listen to, uh, you know, voice recordings and things like that. And you can kind of hear that sound where you you hear it yourself when you put headphones in, like that weird muffling sound as you put them in. Yeah. And just like hearing that through an audio drama was really cool just to be like, oh, that's a sound that I recognize. And, you know, you know exactly what's going on in that scene. And it's part of brings me into loving audio drama. To invite everyone who's listening, I... I really hope you enjoy the story. Um, I think we we put a lot of work into it. Where I'm really proud of how it turned out. Um, and I, uh, yeah, I, I look forward to hearing any feedback you have, and and if this sparks debate and ideas about the issue, then let us know. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to be doing a couple of different episodes. Um, I mentioned them, mentioned them a couple of times already. Uh, we're going to be bringing on some cast and crew to discuss some things behind the scene, what the recording process was like, uh, and everything like that. So I hope you stick around and check out all the rest of these kind of director commentary behind the scenes episodes. Very cool. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody.
Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.